Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast, where healthcare meets business, with your host, me, Dr. Karen Litzy. And just as a reminder, the information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not to be used as personalized medical advice. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart podcast. I am your host, Dr. Karen Litzy, and today we are talking about harnessing the true meaning of self-care with Taylor Elise Morrison. A little bit more about Taylor. So Taylor turned being bad at self-care and being firmly convinced of every human's potential into a career. She's the founder of media company Inner Workout and the author of a book by the same name, which is out now, recently named one of Fortune's 10 Innovators Shaping the Future of Health. Taylor is tired of aspirational wellness as usual. Instead, she builds businesses, content, and experiences that make well-being and personal development more accessible. You're just as likely to see Taylor facilitating a workshop at a Fortune 100 as you are seeing her talking about TikTok and body image with high school classes. Wherever she goes, Taylor's sure to use her coaching, mindfulness, and movement training to meet people where they are at and offer actionable steps toward creating a world without burnout. So I'm really thankful to Taylor. And we also talked today about ADHD and neurodivergence and how Taylor made ADHD her superpower. And she shares some really valuable tools with others to do the same. So big thanks to Taylor and to all of you for listening. Enjoy today's episode. Hi, Taylor. Welcome to the podcast. I am happy to have you on. Thank you. I'm so delighted to be here with you today. And today we are going to talk about a lot of different to- a lot of different topics and we'll get to your book towards the end so that everyone knows what that's about and how to how to get that great book but before we go into everything I would love for you to share a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, so my name's Taylor. I am based in Chicago. And I like to say that I develop leaders who care. And in any given day, any given week, that can look like a lot of different things. I run a company called Inner Workout, where I work with organizations and I work with people to help them build the skill of self-care and also build skills around mindfulness and personal development. Um, But sometimes I'm working with students. Yesterday, I was leading a workshop with students called Body Talk, and we were talking about TikTok and TV and how that can change the way that we talk to and about our bodies. So I'm really here just to help people get to know themselves better and to care for themselves better. And was there an impetus for you to really take a hard look at self-care for yourself. You know, usually it starts with something. So what was that yeah. for you? I say this all the time because I think people hear what I do and they're like, oh, you got it perfectly figured out. And I actually come to this work because naturally I'm a workaholic. Naturally, I completely ignore my body and I've had to build these tools and skill sets so that I wouldn't be constantly burned out. And really the the impetus for me was a moment in 2017 where I was doing a lot. I talk about this in my book. I was just had way too much going on, working full time, doing a side hustle, volunteering with multiple nonprofits, just got married, was also trying to have a social life. And I just kept getting burned out. And it was like, 
I would do the thing, take an afternoon off and feel good for the afternoon and then go right back into my life and almost immediately feel overwhelmed again. And I just felt like there had to be a different way. And I I feel like I have this conversation over and over again with many people in many different disciplines and many different occupations. So I don't think it's occupation specific. Um, It might be, and I don't think it's person specific. So what do you think for you? Why, like, why do you think you were like a workaholic work, work, work? Where do you think that came from? Yeah. I mean, how much time do we have? All the time, all the time you need. Yeah. There's like the age old debate of nature versus nurture. Mm -hmm. I really do think that it's both for me. I, for as long as I can remember, have like wanted to do things and been ambitious, even for a kid. I also think, and my parents were the type of parents who just said, do the best that you can and we'll be proud. Like if you get a C, but that was legitimately the best that you could do, we're still going to be proud of you. But what happened is that my best was often like the best or higher on the scale. And so what I internalized was that in order me doing my best meant that I had to be the best. And that doesn't even get into the other things that happen in our society. Like I'm a black woman. I was raised in a predominantly white environment. There's the old adage that you have to like work twice as hard to get half as much. And so I was very aware that when I was in situations, I wasn't necessarily just representing myself. Um, And as I'm saying that, I'm like, that's a heavy burden for a kid to bear. But that is something I was mindful of for, again, almost as long as I can remember. Mm. And, you know, that must be a great tool for you to use when you are talking with, like you said, you were with students yesterday. So do you get those questions from students and maybe even from adults as well? It's like, hey, how do we navigate this? Yeah, I I love holding space for these types of conversations and it it's always a mix. I'm on a big like social ecology kick right now and I I talk about the ecosystems of care in my book and it's inspired by Bronfenbrenner's work. I'm not trying to get too in the weeds, but some of you who are listening might be familiar. And the idea, like, I think we are our own ecosystems as humans. Like there is so much that's happening within us, but then we exist in all of these other environments. And so I'm really aware of the fact that I tend to focus on the ecosystem of the individual that I'm working with. And we might talk a little bit about how they're relating to their community, but I don't want to ignore the fact that my ability to care for myself, your ability to care for yourself is impacted by these broader things, by the neighborhoods that we live in, by how society treats people who look like us. And so it's constantly this balance of let's talk about what you can do and what's within your locus of control. And also let's not put the whole burden on you because there are systems and barriers for most of us that are in place that shouldn't be there. Right. Well, you know, the number one determinant of your overall health is your zip code. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. So when when we are working with people from different parts of whether it be this country, even different parts of the world, like you said, their ecosystem is very, very much determined. Their personal ecosystem is very much determined by that zip code. Um, so as a physical therapist, one thing that we're we're always mindful of is 
uh, when pre- let's say prescribing exercise and movement, which is part of well-being and self-care for a lot of people. Well, let's say you don't have sidewalks in your neighborhood, or it's dangerous for you to be outside at certain times of the day, right? So now what we might be doing is adding stress to what we think is adding to well-being. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And I love to hear that that's how you're thinking about things, because one of the, the bones I have to pick with the wellness industry, but also getting into like the healthcare industry in general is this tendency to research very specific populations that the results from those the, that research may not be able to apply to everyone, but we're saying then that it applies to everyone and to ignore the context of where people are. Like you said, are we giving them something that is actually accessible to them or are we adding to their stress because we're ignoring their context? Right, exactly. And that's just someone's sort of outer world. Now for you, um, you also had some, let's say, inner ecosystem challenges. Um, So let's talk a little bit more about ADHD and neurodivergence, where there are a lot of people, kids and adults living with ADHD, and a lot of adults who don't even know they have ADHD until they're well into adulthood. So how has that shaped what you do as for, you know, in your work and how has it shaped your your kind of inner self yeah so where to begin with this so i got diagnosed with adhd after i had finished writing the book after i'd spent several years kind of coming up with this idea and approach to self care and After I had built this portfolio career for myself, which now I realize was basically a major coping mechanism for the fact that I had ADHD. Mm -hmm. And so as I was talking before about being a Black girl who is in a predominantly white space and being aware of like the perception and the spoken or unspoken expectations, I, looking back, I definitely had ADHD. I was bored. I was disengaged, but I happened to be smart. And so even, and I'm not saying this from an egoic place, I could just like, I could get good grades in my school. Um, I went to a private school that in many ways I really appreciate. They wanted people to play sports and things. So for me personally, it was not the most academically challenged challenging, but it gave me a lot of other opportunities. But I can remember in class being so bored, but instead of like the kid who was actually diagnosed with ADHD in my class, who would have like Play-Doh to play with, or would Mm. be allowed to get up and move if he needed to, I'd just be like, I need to be a good kid. I need to pay attention. So I'm going to sit here and doodle song lyrics, or I'm going to be like moving my toes inside of my shoes. So people can't see that I'm fidgeting. I was doing the things the whole time. Um, Another thing that was just so fascinating to me was RSD, rejection sensitivity. I think it's dysphoria, um, which a lot of people, especially people who are socialized as girls, have that with their ADHD. And I can think of all of these times where I like, I can viscerally feel when I get rejected and Mm -hmm. I didn't realize that that wasn't normal. I also didn't realize that that was a symptom of ADHD. And I 
definitely did some things that were impulsive in my own way, but a lot of, I think how my ADHD manifested was this emotional reactivity that is so easy to get ridden off for, oh, you're just being a, a, a girl. Girls are just emotional. Um, so yeah, it's been a whole journey and now I'm looking at my work in a totally new light. One that I, I work with different populations and I have multiple things going on that stimulate me in different ways. And I need that. Otherwise I get really bored. Mm. I actually was talking to my coach yesterday and I was talking about this new idea and she was like, that sounds amazing. And also I just want to reflect back to you, but you have some things in front of you right now that are difficult and or boring. And I wonder if perhaps you've got this new grand vision because you're a little bit bored right now. And I just started laughing out loud because she was 100% right. Um, But bringing it back to like the uh, approach to self-care, I talk about self-care as listening within and responding in the most loving way possible and taking it out of just being a checklist of things that you do to a conversation that you have with yourself. And something I'm really proud of in many of the practices that we explore in the book is finding this balance of structure, which is so necessary for folks who have ADHD and many neurodivergent folks benefit from structure, but also enough flexibility that it continues to be exciting and nourishing. And again, looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, of course I would approach self-care that way because that's how it works for my brain. It mm-hmm. wouldn't be sustainable any other way. Yeah. And I, I like that idea of structure with flexibility. So for me, what structure gives me is the ability to be more creative. Whereas mm-hmm. some people may think, oh, structure, if things are are very structured, that means you just have to, you know, kind of follow the plan and not diverge from it. But for me, knowing I have this scaffolding up or the structure around what I do, it then allows me, gives me the confidence to be more creative and to try different things because I know that the structure and the base is stable. So I really resonate with having that structure with flexibility and creativity. I think it allows for it, at least for me. There are some people who like are just, you know, do best with no, well, you know, no structure, just sort of floating through life and, and it's their thing and they work and that works for them. Um, so when you talk about ADHD, let's say as your superpower, what, what tools do you have for maybe people listening who are in the same boat or for practitioners uh, listening who are maybe working with people who have been diagnosed with ADHD? What can we do? What tools do you have to share to help people through? Yeah. So I think one of the first tools it is an age-old mindfulness tool is just acceptance. I, since having this diagnosis, have so much more grace and acceptance for the fact that my brain works differently. And instead of trying to force it to be like everyone else's, I can accept this is how it is. How can we work with this? It's like that idea that a lot of times as humans, we create our own suffering because we're so focused on it should be this way that we're not working with how it is right now. So that's, I mean, anyone can benefit from acceptance, but I know for me specifically, there was a 
almost a physical release when I could say, oh, this is how my brain works. Now that's not to say, cause I, I did something that was not great, which was then I totally gave myself over to the ADHD. I was like, I've been fighting this for so long. I'm just giving myself over. I'm going to do whatever my brain wants and whatever distraction comes across. I'm going to follow that. No, what was more useful, like I said, is to find this mix of structure and flexibility. And for me, that's a lot of defining things for myself. So what does it mean? It can be as granular of what makes, what sets my day up for success in the mornings or a little bit more esoteric. What does it mean to be successful in my life? And I found that taking the time to define those things for myself, knowing that it will likely look different for uh, than it does for other people has been really useful. And then playing within that, the the idea that you were talking about of the creativity within constraints, it's like, I have the sandbox and I can play within the sandbox. Something that I think might be helpful for folks who have neurodivergence or are neurodivergent, which has been really useful for me is when, the way that I think about rituals and routines is part one, having that intention. What am I actually supposed to accomplish with this? And then I think about it almost as being these building blocks that can expand or contract. And what I mean by that is that I know every morning, if I want to be engaged and focused and have fun throughout the day, I need to move my body. I need to have some type of focus practice. And then I need to think, take the things that nourish me. I have like my multivitamin that I take. I have a couple of supplements that I take that are really useful for me. And on a day where I have unlimited time, I could spend three hours doing that. I could do a long yoga practice. I could meditate and I could journal and I could read some reflective book and have like the biggest buffet breakfast. On a day like today, I had to meet with a colleague who's based in Thailand. So I just did a 15 minute yoga practice. I meditated for five minutes and then I just had my my little drink on the go. And when I start thinking of, here's my intention, here are the components that support that, that's that structure, but then I have the flexibility to allow these to look different depending on what I need and what is available to me energy-wise, capacity-wise, time-wise that day. That has made all the difference in the world to me. Mm, I love that. And again, it's what a great... uh a great example of structure and flexibility. And it, it also kind of reminds me, I had someone on a, the podcast a couple of months ago, and it's like everything you're saying is like, sometimes we can't control the things happening around us or even to us, but we can control how we react to it and how we react to that can set us up for the day. So in, instead of saying, of your saying, oh, you know, normally I have an hour to get all this stuff done in the morning. But today I only have a half an hour. So instead of saying, oh, I'll just bag it, which a lot of people will do, right? So what do you say to those people who are like, oh, there's no time today. I'll just do it tomorrow. That's why it goes back to like the importance of defining things for yourself. And when you get really clear, like this is important to me, this is what it allows me to do. But I have options. I have options depending on like one day I do. Yesterday I did these like heavy weightlifting Today it was yoga. So that adds spontaneity to me. It's like, I know I have to move, but am I moving for five minutes and stretching or am I doing like the most intense 
cardio workout that I'm regretting doing. Mm-hmm. So that adds some fun and gives you a little like dopamine burst because you still get to choose what it is. And also coming back to that commitment, like, you know, that this gets you to that end result. That's why when you're building a ritual, you say like, this is how I set my day up for success. Or perhaps you have a ritual that you do after you work with a client who's particularly difficult. And you're like, this grounds me so that I have capacity to do everything else. Me being able to tell myself, I do not feel like doing this. I wish I could sleep for 30 more minutes, Mm -hmm. but I'm doing this because I know this is how I set my day up for success, even if it's a little bit of time. I think especially in the West, we're like so focused on putting a certain amount of time and that is what makes it valuable. But I really believe that the intention provides so much of the value and you're almost doing yourself a disservice if you dismiss I only have five minutes. That doesn't matter. Five minutes is better than nothing. I agree. And, you know, I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with Sharon Salzberg. So she's a a meditation teacher. She's based here in New York, but you know, she has a lot of books and does the uh, insight center in upstate, uh, is it upstate New York or Vermont or up up north of New York city. Um, But uh, I was with her, I was at one of her talks and she was talking about what you just said. She said, for some reason, everybody thinks if you don't meditate for 20 minutes, it's not worth it. And she's like, nothing could be further from the truth. She said, if you're in between clients, washing your hands could be a meditation. Taking a couple breaths can be a meditation. Like you said, if you only have five minutes, awesome. Do something for five minutes. But she's like, I don't know where this came from that, you know, you have to sit in a certain position and you have to face a certain way and you have to do it for at least 20 minutes. She's like, none of that is true. Agreed. I I actually have a hand washing practice in my mm -hmm, book. Like mm -hmm. I... I'm a big believer in using the moments that we have. And that's how we get people who don't feel cared for and who are beating themselves up for not doing self-care right because they've been told that they need to follow these formulas that other people have given them. When you're able to build formulas that work for yourself and for your current season in life, what works for me today is different than what worked for me a year ago. And that's normal. Yeah, completely normal. If you kept doing the same thing over and over, well, what do they say? If you do the same thing over and over and expect the same results, what is it? Um, It's insanity. It's insanity. Yeah, that's it. It's insanity. Um, Well, this was great. I love any other tools. So acceptance, having clear definitions for yourself, rituals and routines, anything else that we need to be uh, thinking about. Yeah, the last thing I would say is, building out, I talk about having a self-care support system. And so seeing if you can identify if there is something that you know is really good for you, but you're having trouble doing it, seeing if you can get some type of accountability or support. Sometimes that's me telling my husband, like, I am doing this today. Check in with me. I also love this tool called Focus Mate, where you can do, um, which is great for neurodiverse people, It you you can body double. So you schedule a time It costs $5 a month for unlimited, or it's free for three sessions a a month or a week. And you just log on for 25 minutes or for 50 minutes or for 75 minutes. And you say at the beginning to this stranger you've never seen before, I'm going to write this email. I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to work out. I'm going to meditate. And then at the end, you have to say whether or not you did it. And whenever I am struggling to do something, I know 
is important for me to do, I just put on a focus mate and then magically I'm like, well, now I told the stranger I'm going to do it. I guess I'm going to do it. Oh my gosh. That gives me anxiety. Um, <laughs> but, but I could see how it's very, very helpful. I mean, probably because I'm the same, like if I tell someone I'm going to do something, I do it. But oftentimes if I tell myself I'm going to do something, I don't do it. Yeah. And that's been a big shift. And I talk about this with a lot of my clients, whether they're neurotypical or neurodivergent is like we, as people who live in the U S specifically, but also in the West in general, the United States is the most individualistic country in the world. And so even the fact that there's this whole genre of self-help and we're supposed to just fix ourselves on our own Mm -hmm. just does a huge disservice. Like our ancestors, no matter who your ancestors are, they lived in community and they were giving and receiving Mm -hmm. and someone was really good at fishing. So, and someone else was really good at making the fire. And so they were exchanging in that way. And somewhere along the line, we got this idea that we should be able to be everything to ourselves. And there is no shame in needing support to get something done. In fact, it often brings you closer to other people. People love to be needed And people love to support you. And so when you can offer that opportunity to be like, hey, I need a little bit of help here, it is great for you, but it's also a connective practice between you and that other person. Mm, I love that. Yeah. If you do it all, it'll keep you small. Mm. Um, That's for sure. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the book now. So the name of the book is Inner Workout. Yep. Um, same name as my company. Same name as the company. So there's five dimensions of well-being that you mention on the website. Um, and I guess that are infused through the book. So do you want to go through those? You can just mention them quickly. You don't have to go into too much detail, but give a little bit. Yeah. So the five dimensions of well-being are inspired by this yogic concept of the koshas. And there's five dimensions, there's 14 sub-dimensions, and it all started as at the beginning of the pandemic, I created this assessment because I was like, I can't teach classes the way I could before. So what Mm -hmm. if I make this assessment? People can take it and it gives you, it's free to take on the website and it gives you three recommended practices based on your results. And the book really expands on that. So you can take the assessment, see where you're at, and then find all of these practices, prompts, sources of inspiration for whatever dimension or sub-dimension you're working on. So there's the physical dimension, the way you talk to and about your body. And yeah, it's it's less about, I need to move in a certain way, or I need to eat a certain way. And more like, what is the relationship I'm having with my body? The energetic dimension, which is supported by your breath, as well as the way that energy moves in and out of your life. We all can probably think of examples of someone in our life. We leave the conversation. We're like drained afterwards. Mm-hmm. You're like the dragging, opposite. dragging yourself away from it. Yeah, exactly. And so that falls under the energetic dimension. There's the mental and emotional dimension, which looks at the way that you're using your brain, what you're putting into it. Is it being challenged in a good way? what comes out of your brain in the form of thoughts, feelings, and emotions. And then that's supported by sleep because sleep, yes, affects our physical body, but it also affects our cognition, our ability to like be a human who interacts with other humans. There's the wisdom dimension, which looks at your inner wisdom, 
I believe that everyone is their own best expert. You're the only person who's lived your life. So your ability to tap into that wisdom and to take aligned action around it in the present moment, because the present moment is all we have. So we're the most powerful when we can live in the present. And then finally, there's the bliss dimension, which looks at the state of connection to yourself, to your community, like we were just talking Mm -hmm. about. And then to something bigger than you, however that shows up, if it's religion, if it's spirituality, if it's just getting outside and being in nature. Yeah. Excellent. And where can people find the book? Yeah. So if you go to my website, innerworkout.co, there's a button right there at the top or just search inner workout wherever you find books, go talk to your local bookseller. I'm sure they'd be happy to order it for you. Um, But yeah, I'm really, really excited about having this accessibility is a big piece of my work. And so Mm -hmm. to have these things that I've taught in one-on-one sessions or in workshops that, but that everyone can go or get it from your library is really exciting to me. Yeah, that's great. Um, It sounds like a wonderful book. So much of what you're saying is certainly resonating with me. So I really appreciate all of it. Um, And I have not done your assessment yet, but when we are done with this interview, I will do the assessment and I will see you get what three... Yeah, you get three practices, three practices. Yeah, it'll be I'm very curious to see what uh, what those three practices will be. And I will let you know. Um, So now, aside from your website, where can people find you on social media or um, any other any other um, spots? So I'm not on, well, I, I will say you can find me on Instagram at Taylor Elise Morrison. You can find inner workout at inner workout. We're mostly in stories. Um, the, the way that I like to connect with people most is surprise, surprise through writing inner workout uh-huh. has a self-care Sunday newsletter that comes out every Sunday. We also have a podcast called inner Warm Up that is seasonal. We're wrapping up a season on burnout right now. Excellent. Very good. Well, um, I can't thank you enough for coming on, but before we leave, I have one question that I ask everyone, and that is knowing where you are now, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? I say that, and as I look at you, you look like you're 20, Um, but I know you're not, but you look fabulous. Um, Thank you. So what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Yeah, you're not the only one. High schoolers the other day thought I was 19. They did not believe me. I believe it. Yeah, I believe it. Um, When I told them (laughs) that I'm 30. But I think what I would tell her is just like, slow down. This has been a message that has been repeated over and over and over again is like, slow down, enjoy the roses. You don't, you can know where you want to go and you don't need to get there like tomorrow. I just wonder how much more joy and spaciousness and presence I would have had if I wasn't always rushing through life. And that's major work that I'm doing right now is just trying to be present with what's here. Mm, I love it. That is great advice. Taylor, thank you so much for coming on. Great discussion. Can't wait to take the assessment. Um, And everyone, uh, that is innerworkout.co, that's .co. Uh, Check out uh, order, pre-order, order Taylor's book, take the assessment and sign up for the newsletter because it sounds fabulous. So Taylor, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. 
And everyone, thanks so much for listening. Have a great couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to leave us your questions and comments at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com.